we're in the middle of a uh, sermon series this summer on the book of Nehemiah, book study we do every year. This year we have the book of Nehemiah, and um, Pastor Jay and Pastor Mark have shared, and now it's my turn. It's been a year since I've been here up on this pulpit, so get ready. The fire is coming. All right? Y'all know I'm kidding because I can't. (laughs) That's not my style. But uh, it has been a year, so there's some build up here, and uh, I've got a word for you. So uh, if you turn to your Bibles uh, to Nehemiah chapter 4, we'll go ahead and get started. Let me give you a a quick review. Um, The year is about 445 B.C., and Nehemiah, uh, the uh, children of Israel are under, um, they're in exile under the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, and Nehemiah serves as a cupbearer to the king. He has a ton of influence and power. And basically what he does is he meets with the king every day and he tastes his food and tastes his drink before the king does. And so uh, the king trusts him. And one day, um, Nehemiah's brother comes to the door, knocks on the door, Nehemiah answers, and he says, brother, the walls are torn down. Jerusalem is in ruins. We have a temple, but we have no walls, which basically in that time meant that they didn't have anything. They didn't hardly have a city. There was nothing to protect them. And so Nehemiah is crushed. He's crushed. And he, and he falls down and he begins to weep and he says, this should not be. This, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is, the, this is the city of Jerusalem. We are God's covenant people and the walls are down and we got to do something. It should not be this way. And so he goes to the king and he asks permission. And the king says yes. And he says, you can go 800 miles away and begin to build back Jerusalem. Um, you ever had a, a this should not be moment? where everything is uh, supposed to be one way, but it's not. It's, it's another way. I remember Lindsay and I were living in Florida, and we were, we were married, living in Florida, and we were looking for a church to go to. And there were about a million churches, and so we had heard about one uh, in North Lakeland, and so it had been, the, the, the reputation was that at one time it was this huge church, 10,000-seat auditorium, and um, was just a thriving uh, Pentecostal church in America. It was one of the largest and most prominent Pentecostal churches uh, in the entire United States. And, and, but we had heard that it like, wasn't, wasn't that way anymore. And so much so that, it, that it, lots and lots of problems. There had been, uh, supposedly there had been some scandals, and, and they had moved and, and gone into a smaller complex on campus. And so we went up there to, to see what the church was about. And so we get there and we're kind of lost a little bit because the, the, the campus is huge. And so we go, we, we go in and we think we see some people in a, a, a back room on campus, uh, but we're not sure. So we, so we walk around and we look and we see the main building and we think, surely they're not in there. And so I thought, but I want to see what it looks like in there because it's, it's, it, looks, it, it looks almost abandoned. And so uh, my wife, uh, the rule follower, uh, does not want to participate with me uh, while I go exploring. And so, um, but, I, but somehow I have no idea how uh, I convince her otherwise. And so we go and um, the, the door is open and we start to walk in and we break 
the universally understood number one pastor's kid rule, which is never enter a church alone with the lights off. All right? Let me just, let me let you know. When you're raised in church, especially as a pastor's kid, you don't go into church with the lights off because who knows what's in there and who knows what's happening. It's ter- it, it is, we, we, just, we just knew that. And so the lights are off and, and we can kind of peer in, we can kind of see in. And so we look and it was an amazing sight. Here is this gigantic foyer. It is huge. And you could look over and you see where this fountain used to be. And, and, but, there's, but there's like... There's, there's like weeds and stuff growing in the foyer. And there's, and there's a light thing hanging, and it just looks like, I don't know if you've ever seen that, that movie. There's an there's a old Will Smith movie called I Am Legend, and he's like in the city, and, and it's like this, the, the, the whole city is abandoned except for like zombies, okay? And so, and, he, and, and the city looks like it is in ruins. And we look in, and I look in the church, and I go, oh, my goodness, this, this, this place is in, it's in ruins. It's, the, the, there's nobody here. And I thought, this, this used to be, have thousands of people coming in. They would hear the gospel and here we are standing here. And at first I was excited because we were going to walk around and go exploring and stuff. But I began to feel this sinking feeling in my gut like this is not okay. This isn't right. Why is this church like this? Why is it this for whatever reasons, good or bad, it is empty and in, in disrepair. And I had this sinking feeling in my gut. I thought, this is not right. This is not okay. This should not be. Pales in comparison to how Nehemiah felt when he knew that the walls were torn down and God's people had no place to be and the city was in ruins. He said, this, this is not okay. This should not be. Jesus had one of those moments. He's talking with the children of Israel, fellow Jews, and he says to them, he's talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he says, takes a step back and he looks, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I wanted to gather you together like a hen does for her chicks. I wanted to gather you together, but you would not. You refused. You rebelled. And now this place is in disarray, disrepair. Your house has left you desolate. It's empty. This should not be. And so this is the feeling that Nehemiah has. This should not be. And so he gathers, uh, he talks to the king, he gets permission, he goes and he's allowed to build a wall. And so because I love you, I'm not going to read you the entire chapter 3. It is an entire list of names of people. And uh, all the people that participated in rebuilding the wall. It's, it's everybody. Lots and lots of people. It's not just the, it's not just the priests, it's not just the clergy. But it's everybody. So we're going to begin in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, 
Both of these, uh, um, uh, Sanballat was a Samaritan, to buy the Ammonite who was at his side. So think about it, it's two, two, basically two bullies. And they're standing there and they're making fun of Nehemiah and his people rebuilding the wall. He says, what are they building? Even a, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Apparently that was a good slam. I don't know, but it would have made me angry. <laughs> Somebody said, a fox is going to climb on your wall and knock it down. Um, I, would have, uh, I would have not taken kindly to that. <laughs> but if you're writing down notes this morning, which I suggest that you do, uh, my first point is this. When the walls are down, don't be surprised when opposition meets you at the first brick. When the walls are down, don't be surprised when opposition meets you at the first brick. So Nehemiah gathers his people. They rallies the troops, gathers them together. He decides he's going to rebuild the wall. And soon as he starts to do something right, exactly what God has called him to do, all of a sudden opposition meets him. When God's people... Do God's work in God's way, there will always be opposition. There'll always be opposition. Now, what I'm not saying is all, all opposition is from the devil. That's not true. Uh, sometimes uh, we're wrong and we need to be opposed. <laughs> but when God's people do God's work in God's way, there will always be opposition. I've got a... Uh, I was looking at the list of names in chapter 3, and, and it, it reminded me all the people that were helping build the wall. It just listed, it, it listed all kinds of people. They weren't, just the, they weren't just the priests. They weren't just certain people from a certain area. And it made me think about uh, our church. It sounded like, a, it, it sounded like somebody that was going to start a church, and they were rebuilding from scratch. And so I went back, and I looked, and I thought, I, I, I remembered that, Kingwood Church started a long, long time ago, and that was about all I had. So I went back and looked, and I got the list of the charter members of Kingwood Church from 1932. And so I looked at it, and it, there were 15 names on there, and back then we were called Love Light Gospel Center. All right, Love Light Gospel Center, 1932. And so I got the charter member list from the General Council, and, um, and, and I have all 15 names. I'm going to read you guys these names. R.J. Blankenship, Forrest and Homer Glass, J.M. Blankenship, Clara Smith, Bessie Terry, Vady Glass, Fanny Blankenship, Bertie Glass, Irma Blankenship, J.D. Terry, Marjean Sharp, Lottie Sharp, Edna Millwood, and Lily Mae Blankenship. Those were the charter members of Kingwood Church. There's a list of 15, but five of them are crossed out. And I, I couldn't find out why they were crossed out. And I tried to figure it out, but I, I, I couldn't find out. But I thought, you know what? Um, I've, uh, I know how churches begin. I know how church plants start. I know how when people decide that they're going to do something big for God, they're God's people and they're going to do God's work and God's way they're going to be met with opposition. And I don't know why the five, there are five names on there that are crossed out, but I, my mind just started to wonder, and I, just, I thought, I wonder if these guys decided to plant this church, and who knows what could have happened. Maybe five of them decided to leave. They were like, this isn't for me. And this church that they started with 15, in a very short time, they really grew that thing to 10. And, um, <laughs> and what I noticed was, what I thought was, I wonder, I wonder what it was. I wonder if it was 
Maybe, maybe they got mad. Maybe they had a church split. Maybe it was the first month, and they just said, no, 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 no. we decided we're not going to go this way. We're going to go this way. And, um, or maybe, maybe it was something else. I, I, I don't know what it was. I do know that when you only have 15 people to start a church off with, it's not good when you lose five immediately. And, um, and the church was met with opposition. But when you look around now, somehow, somewhere along the way, somebody came along and said, no matter what we do, we're not going to stop. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. And they continue, and they continue to meet, and they continue to pray. It began as a prayer meeting. They continue to meet and pray. And here we are, 85 years later, at Kingwood Church, because when gospel, what was the name of that church? Love Light Gospel Center. <laughs> because when Gospel Love Light Center began, they didn't stop. And became Kingwood Church. Look what Nehemiah does as soon as he's faced with opposition. As soon as, he's fa- as, so- as soon as these people come up to him and they start yelling at him and they start making fun of him and talking about foxes running on the wall and knocking the wall down. Immediately, verse 4, hear us, O God. Straight to prayer. Straight to prayer. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. Ouch. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. This is a tough prayer to read because it's an honest prayer. You ever prayed an honest prayer? It's a tough prayer to read because he's angry, he's frustrated, and immediately he starts praying and he goes, this is how I feel, this is what we want to happen, this is, these are my enemies, God, you got to do something. If you're taking notes, here's point number two, when opposition shows up, pray first. Pray first. When opposition shows up, pray first. Have you ever tried to pray first? When you got angry, have you ever tried to like pray immediately? Or in temptation, have you ever, have you ever tried, when you, you're being tempted, have you, have you ever tried to pray first? That's, that's the, that's, it's difficult. I had a friend one time talking to me, and he said, uh, he said, look, he said, when I get angry, he said, this is what I've decided to start doing. He said, it really works. He said, I've, uh, what I do, he goes, the other day I was so mad, so I can't remember, something happened. He said, I was so angry, and he said, I went into my office, and he goes, I'm so mad, I could, I could scream. And he goes, I know what I'm going to do. And so he sits down and he puts his head down and he said, I just started smiling. I said, what? He said, I just started smiling. I started doing this. <laughs> he started smiling and he said, I just left it there. I said, you left your face like that? He said, yes, I left my face like that. And he said, I just did this. And he said, after about a minute, he said, I just started laughing. He said, I wasn't even mad anymore. And I went, man, that's awesome. You're so holy. And so, <laughs> so I said, that's what I'm going to do. Because I'm a sinner and I get angry too, and sometimes it uh, is not good. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going I'm to I'm make all this anger go away. I'm just going to smile. And so sure enough, one day, you know, I don't know, the next day or the next week, next two weeks, I don't know. I've, I've, I get so mad and I have this thought. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to smile my way out of this thing. And so I was driving in the car and I was infuriated, and I just started cheesing. And I was like, man, can I be honest with you? 
I got so mad. I got mad at myself. It made me, it made me even madder. <laughs> it made me even angrier. I got mad at me. I got mad at my friend Rob for being such a dummy for telling me to do that. <laughs> made it even worse. It, was, it, was, it, it made it worse. And, and, and when I get mad, I just want to be mad. And I don't want to do anything. I don't want to have to think. I just want to be able to stew. When I'm, when I'm, when I'm tempted, I don't, want to have to, I don't want to have to think. I just want to, I just want to leave it alone. I don't, want to, I, don't want to have to th- I don't want to have to think right thoughts or deep thoughts or God thoughts. I just want to leave it alone. And the problem is, is as believers, as God's people, Doing God's work and God's way, you're always going to have opposition, whatever it is, whether it's your own sinful desires or whether it's temptation from the enemy or whether it's somebody else. You're, you're, there's, there's always going to be opposition there. And so when you attempt to pray first, it's hard. It's challenging. It's very difficult. I think it's a sign of maturity. I think, I think it's a sign of maturity when you, when you do that. Why would you, why would you want to pray first? Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you sit there and try to smile your way out of it? Wouldn't you think praying first would sometimes only make it worse? Here's why. Prayer reminds you that your battle is spiritual. Prayer reminds you that your battle is spiritual. Ephesians chapter 6 says, uh, For our struggle, our fight, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your battle and my battle is spiritual. And so when we face opposition and we decide to pray first, we acknowledge that we are in a spiritual battle. And it's always been that case. It's always been that case. When Jesus was being arrested and he was about to go to the cross, and they said they were going uh, to arrest Jesus and they were going to take him to the cross, Simon Peter pulls out a sword, and what does he do? He starts hacking away, and he, and he chops some guy's ear off in the garden. And Jesus goes, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Jesus walks over, and he says, this is not how we're going to do this. This, is not, this. this battle isn't physical. This battle is spiritual, and there's, there's, I'm on a mission, and I got something important that I'm doing. And he, and he takes the guy's ear, and he heals it. And Simon Peter doesn't understand why he can't fix everything with the sword. It's always been this way. Why do you think that Christianity is the most persecuted group in the world? It's true. It's the most persecuted group in the world. Maybe not in the United States, but in the world, it is the most persecuted group in the world. But watching the news, you probably wouldn't think so. You, you probably wouldn't think so. You, if, if, watching the news, you're probably going to look, and it looks like somehow Christianity is the most oppressive group in the world, doing the most damage. With the biggest haters. I'm not saying the church is perfect, but I certainly am not saying that it's full of haters either. I believe at its core that the, body, that the church is the body of Christ. And it is the biggest force for love and compassion this world has ever known. And it is so saddening to me when I look and I go, How is it that this message of love and compassion and the greatest force for good that this world has ever known, the the living, breathing, active body of Christ, somehow has this reputation as as haters? And and there are bad seeds in the church. There's always hypocrites. But overall, 
That's, that's not who the church is. It is, it, is, it is a message of love and compassion active throughout all the world. And I thought, how is this the case? The other day I was, um, I was uh, uh, flipping through old seminary notes because that's what boring old preachers do. They flip through seminary notes. And so I'm flipping through some old seminary notes, and I find this letter. Um, I was in a history class, and I found this letter from this guy named Tacitus in the first century. He was a Roman senator and historian. And it's a letter, and it's a, a, it's a um, document describing the, uh, some of the details about the great fire in Rome, the burning of Rome, when Nero was emperor, and people didn't know whether he meant to set the fire or if he was blaming the Christians for the fire or whatever it was. There was this great fire in Rome, and it really started the first really great persecution of the Christian church. And so I found this letter and I started to read it. And, and I, can, uh, Stephen, if you have it, will, will you put that up there? I wanna, I wanna read part of it because I wanna show you something. That it's it's, uh, it's kind of heady, it's kind of it's, it's heavy, but, I, but I, want you to, I want you to look at it with me and, and I wanna point something out. So Tacitus is writing, he's a, he's a historian and a Roman senator and he says, but all human efforts, all the emperor's gifts and propitiations to the gods were not enough to remove the scandal or banish the belief that the fire, the Roman fire, the fire of Rome had been ordered by Nero. And so to get rid of this rumor, Nero set up as culprits and punished with the utmost cruelty a class hated for their abominations who were commonly called Christians. Christus, from whom their name is derived, that's us, was executed at the hands of the procurator Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Checked for the moment, this pernicious superstition broke out again, not only in Judea, the source of the evil, but even in Rome. Listen to this, in Rome, where the place where everything that is sordid and degrading from every quarter of the globe finds a following. Thus, who con thus those who confessed to being Christians were first arrested. Then on evidence from them, a large multitude was convicted, not so much for the charge of arson. Look at this phrase. As for their hatred of the human race, besides being put to death, they were made objects of amusement, they were clothed in hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified. Others were set on fire to illuminate the night after sunset. They weren't persecuted necessarily for burning Rome, but instead for their hatred of the human race. And I look and I go, how can Christians, the body of Christ, the most loving and compassionate force this world has ever known, have a reputation as hating the human race. You see, Christians in Rome, when people came to Christ and were saved, it was kind of bad business for Rome. They, didn't, they stopped buying the trinkets and the little gods and the, and the stuff that were for sale in Rome. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was good for Rome to allow different uh, religions to have some level of limited freedom. But here these Christians show up and all of a sudden their love for Jesus and their love for their neighbor is interpreted as hatred for the human race. You see, you, your battle and my battle isn't a physical one, it's a spiritual one. The only way that that would make sense is that there's actually an enemy. There's actually an enemy. Satan, Lucifer, 
the enemy, and he actually has a plan, an ultimate plan. His ultimate purpose is to do anything he can to thwart God's plan, which is to redeem all of humanity. And anything he can do, any way he can do that, he's going to do it. He's going to use every means he can. And so somehow he attacks the church's greatest strength, which is its love and compassion, and says, no, 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 no. Actually, you know what? They hate you. The church hates you, and they hate humanity. And it's not new. There's nothing new. You just read it. That was from the first century. So what do you do? What do you do? You could get all the movers and the shakers and the powerful people that you know and gather them together in a room and and try to set this ultimate strategy plan. Or you could do what Jesus did, which was gathered a few nobodies, planted his message in their hearts, ultimately that led him to a to the most powerful man that has ever lived, willingly dying the most shameful death the world has ever created, his way looks different. His way, Jesus' way, looks like he's fighting a different enemy, one we can't see. Simon Peter looks at Jesus when he says that he's going to die before he goes to the cross, and he says, Jesus, surely you're not going to die. Surely that's not going to happen. And Jesus goes, thanks, buddy. Thanks for taking up for me. Actually, no, he looks at Simon Peter in the eye and says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You know who he's talking to? He's not talking to Simon Peter. He's talking to Satan. He's saying, I'm on a mission. This battle is spiritual, and there's nothing that's going to deter me from doing that. And he's recognizing it immediately. So when you and I face opposition undeservedly, whether it's, in, whether it's our own in inner struggle, or whether it's from the outside, our only option, the very first step, is your traditional Sunday school answer that got you out of the question when you were little, which is pray. What do you do? Pray. You know that's the answer. Is Jesus or prayer will get you out of anything in children's church or in Sunday school. Guess what? It's true. It works. But this, this is true. What do you do when you face opposition? The first thing to do is pray first. And I'm here to tell you that there's almost nothing more difficult than that. It really is true. This almost, if you've ever tried to do it, if you've ever, if you've ever been in the middle of, of some serious temptation or some serious anger, or some, if you've ever been in some serious opposition, the very hardest thing to do is to recognize that your battle is spiritual to pray first. And it, almost, and it doesn't, let me just warn you, it doesn't feel spiritual when you pray in that moment. It doesn't feel spiritual. It's like trying to grit your teeth and smile your way through anger. It's not, it doesn't feel spiritual. But you are recognizing the reality of the situation. Pray first. That's what Nehemiah did. Now, Jesus shows us a better way in prayer. But his first thing was to pray Chapter 4, verse 16. <clears throat> From that day on, half my, man did the, uh, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bow, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand, check this out, and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore a sword, 
at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Here's point number three. When opposition shows up, keep working. I love that verse, verse 17. What's our, what's our weapon? Prayer. What's our work? The work of the ministry. Who does the work? Every single one of us. Every person built the wall. Every person had a role. This building of the wall to restore Jerusalem represents one of the biggest shifts in all of Scripture that is coming. Jerusalem represents the people of God. This is actually like the last thing that happens in Scripture in the Old Testament before Jesus comes. It's not that way if you look in your Bible. It's not sitting that way in the Scripture. But chronologically it is. It's one of the last things that happens. And they're setting the stage for Jesus' ministry here on earth. And what Jesus does is he... God comes, dwells on earth, um, settles his ministry here, dies on the cross. And the moment he dies on the cross, there are earthquakes. There's all kinds of, the, the, the sky turns dark. Uh, there's some dead people that are raised at that moment. But here's what's awesome. In the temple, the curtain that separated, that separated the average Joe like us or Jane like us, separated us from God's presence was torn in two. And now God's presence isn't confined to a temple, but lives in you and in me and in our hearts. We sang about it. It was literally the last song we sang in praise and worship today. That God's presence inhabits the praises of his people. He lives in you and me. And when we realize that, when we realize that God's presence is in us and that we are on mission to go and make disciples of all nations, that in our weapon is prayer, and our ministry is the work, you can move in confidence knowing that God is with you always. When you have a this should not be moment, you pray first, and you keep going, working, knowing you're not alone. If the worship team would come, where do you see yourself this morning? Where, where, where do you see yourself this morning? I, you know, I, I talked about facing opposition. Um, we talked about prayer. We talked about knowing God's presence is alive in you. Where do you see yourself this morning? Are you facing opposition this morning? If so, we want to pray with you. Are you struggling to keep moving forward? If so, we want to pray with you. Are you struggling to press forward in your relationship with Jesus? Are you facing opposition with every eye closed and every head bowed in the room? Ask yourself this question. Where am I this morning? More than likely, this is the case for you. God's people doing God's work and God's way face opposition. You can bet on it. More than likely, there are many in you, many of you in here that are facing some type of serious opposition and you may not have the answer. If the prayer team, if you guys would come stand up here. <clears throat> More than likely, 
there's something that you're facing that you may not have the answer to. Maybe, maybe you've prayed about it before, but you still don't have the answer. If that's you in here, you are personally facing serious opposition in your life, whether it's in your family or at work or difficult choices ahead. If that's you in here, would you raise your hand real, real high? Nobody, nobody looking. Every eye closed. If you're here, maybe you're here and you'd say, I'm a Christian and I follow Jesus, but I just can't shake this feeling that I'm watching everybody else at work, in ministry, I just can't face, I just can't shake this feeling that I'm, I'm watching everybody building a wall. I'm watching everybody doing something and here I am, I'm not. I'm sitting on my hands. And God is moving on my heart to engage my faith and truly become the hands and feet of Jesus. God's moving in me. Would you raise your hand real, real high? raise your hand this morning. I want to invite you up here to pray with the prayer team. God, we love you this morning. God, we're honored to be here. We're honored to stand here, God, in your presence, knowing that you're here with no doubt. God, I pray that you would move in our heart, that you would change us. You would make us more like you. God, those in here that are facing opposition, God, personally, I grow in their heart, mature their faith that they would pray first. God, those in here that are facing opposition, come alive in them. Give them eyes to see that their battle is spiritual and that you can go to battle for them. God, may they put on the full armor of God. Would everybody stand with me? that you go with every single person in this room this week God the moment they're faced with a, with a difficulty with opposition God that you would quicken their mind remind them God that not only are you with them but oftentimes, God that, that, that thing that fight that battle can be dealt with almost completely in prayer Jesus do your work this morning